Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating and a positive review, pause this recording right now and do so. We would greatly appreciate it. My name is Kirk Haberman. I'm a teacher and a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how are you? Surprisingly, I'm great. Oh, did I, did I hold you in suspense there? I was, I was concerned. Yeah, Kirk, it's a good week, and uh, I'm in, in anticipation of our ski trip next week. So next week, let's, let's try to record. Um, I mean, I won't be literally on the mountain uh, when when we record, or at least not at the top of the mountain. Although we will be on the mountain, Kirk. Like with um, Moses since it's spring and skiing, we just decided let's let's go midweek because it's hard for I can't get away in the weekend that often. Um, and so we got ski in, ski out, lodging. Oh, which uh, if you're at not the a top skier, of the hill? Uh, We'll, we'll give you a better picture of it when we okay. get there. Cause I, I mean, there's maps and stuff, but you know, there's, it's hard to get a sense of the relief. I don't, it's not at the top. No, okay. I don't think that exists um, anywhere. Like usually it's, it's kind of like on the side um, and it's not really like on a, like a main run. Usually it's like, but, the, but what the perk is, is that you don't have to get in your car in the morning and drive to the base of the hill. Uh, you get dressed to ski in your condo unit yeah you put your skis on and you ski down to the lift isn't that doesn't that sound amazing yeah yes i I'm mean the, the, jealousy well one of the things about skiing is is it's hard physical work and so you work up a sweat so you're constantly fighting like a lot of the clothing that you wear is is uh, either merino wool or synthetic stuff so that you can both wick and stay warm and you're constantly managing moisture uh, spring skiing and- is weird though, because I have memories of spring skiing, like just like slowly, like there came that the, the hat came off and then the gloves came off and the jacket was open. Well, Kirk, I mean the fancy ski gear that we didn't have growing up and, and that, you know, you slowly acquire is, um, uh, clothing that not only is, is uniquely breathable, but, um, like it's, any ski jacket will um, have little zips that you can open up to vent. Yeah. And Ooh, that uh, sounds fancy. But anyway, like it, it's frustrating to me um, to like get all dressed up in my ski gear. Uh, you know, you're putting on long underwear and this and that. Like there's not a, a non-awkward way to do that when you're <laughs> at a hill. Right. So either you're like wearing long underwear on the way and you're kind of sweating or 
or you're just like in the car kind of freezing and sweating as you're grunting and like working to get your um, long underwear and, and, and ski pants on. And, and uh, so we can skip all that. We can just like beautiful. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, because I am who I am and I'm economic Haberman, I'm cheap. Uh, when we go skiing, we get there when it opens. Yeah. Uh, so that the, the, so that we are when the lift turns on, we are in line, um, and we leave like six seven p.m. Like we were there the whole day, right? Um, if we usually if we leave around seven, we're home by you know nine nine thirty. But but you give so, a couple hours of break in the middle of the day for the kids to play arcade games, right? <laughs> arcades aren't a thing anymore kids are over that that's true they have their own stupid devices um (laughs) so uh, what was i saying you ski all day oh oh, the ride home the ride home is just like exhausting because i'm I'm tired the the kids pass out and i'm just i i just i'm tired i'm driving home so so that sounds amazing that you just like ski to your uh to your lodge take your skis off and and walk in that sound that sounds great yeah i'm told that there is an outdoor heated pool that kind of uh blows my mind <laughs> that in in northern minnesota that they would have a uh, heated pool that's outdoors that's open we will see so you have you've planted a seed i don't know if you've done this you've planted a seed in my son simon's head he has two tabs open in Safari on his iPad. Um, one, a map of Big Sky, the front face, <laughs> and one, a map of Big Sky, the other face, slowly memorizing those hills. And um, I tell you what, you could scare, stare at that map for a long time and take it in. There's so much acreage and square mileage. Amazing. And it's just like, as I'm looking at like those, the triple black diamonds, like on, on, on the top face, I'm like, <laughs> stroking my of course like a thousand fifteen hundred miles away you know here in pittsburgh i'm like yeah i'll do that when we get there probably won't do that but like you've planted you have planted the seed christopher so so now we must in within several years see it see it to fruit probably five-year window see it to fruition see it fully flower so speaking That's of fully- Kirk, Kirk, I mean, let's, let's do a live show there. Uh, um, <laughs> listeners let's meet up um, someday in, in big sky, Montana. <laughs> yes. Speaking of fully flower. Um, I'm, I am, I'm right now uh, staring out into my front yard where I'm seeing bulbs come up. Um, our crocuses, our lilies, our daffodils are coming up. Um, I have, today can't you tell a- them it's Lent? I know. They're, they are looking insufficiently penitential. They're, they're looking glorious and colorful and I'm radiating joy. Uh, it is a, uh, it is a snow day. I don't have school today. So these, these snow days, school districts pre-schedule them. Um, and so if there is no snow day, um, yes. during the winter, you get that day off. Yes. And that's, and that's what today is. So today is lovely. So this is, I'm just home alone. This is great. Me and the dog. Me and the dog and uh, and all of you. So I'm looking forward today to uh, talking the gospel and, and a couple of saints of the church. Christopher, should we get to the gospel? Let's.
today's gospel comes from the gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. There was some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should I use up the ground? Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also and until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Sorry to cross you up on that on that <laughs> ending there. Usually I say did it, I, I passed Lord. the test though, right? You did. You did. That was hundred percent intentional. <laughs> so Kirk, I think there is a certain default setting in our hearts that uh it's not that it wants to believe in karma, it's just that it does. Right. That that we want to see this idea of justice in our lives, that um, those who do wrong will be punished. We see it in the imprecatory psalms, right? For sure. Yes. Um, in, in these psalms, uh, we, we see the psalmist say various things. I mean, the one that sticks out in my mind is, is like, why do the wicked prosper? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of asking this. But, you, you know, you're, you're talking about specific one about bashing Babylonians, children's <laughs> heads on stones. Um <laughs> But yeah, we're, we're seeking for um, injustices to be righted um, because, you know, it, it's not like just an ungodly thing that, oh, these Eastern people, like they, they got this longing for justice uh, that, that kind of led them to essentially uh, start this religion that's based on a buildup of karma and karmic payback and, and things like that. Um, Is because like God is a God of justice who will on the last day um, meet out his justice. 
Um, and so it's interesting how the disciples have to have, be shaped into um, God's view of, of justice. Uh, and, and surely you remember in, in the Gospel of John, I believe, where um, he asked Jesus, uh, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? You know, this this idea that someone had to have sinned in order, um, like not Adam, but like somebody in this family must have sinned for this bad thing to have happened. Right. And so uh, this kind of is a continuation from Luke 12, where Jesus is talking about last things. And then um, the disciples' mind sort of, or some present, I guess it it um, may not have been disciples, there's some present who um, were like, well, bad things are happening now. Um, and so Jesus takes this moment to kind of teach them um, and ask them, you know, do, do you think that they were worse sinners? Like, are, were they punished for their sins? And here he doesn't, uh, you know, just allow them to answer. He, he tells them um, right away because he is, again, working on something that connects to last week and the weeks before where we talked about the insufficiency of being part of the tribe. Um, that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Um, so the, just like last week, the guy who, who kind of asked, well, well, will, will many be saved or few? Assuming that he was one that would be saved. Um, Jesus is saying like th- th- there is, is one path and it, it is through Jesus. And it's a path of, of, of repentance and, and faith in Jesus. Um, and so it's not about um, sin or the amount of sin. Um, it's, it's that all of us, <laughs> this message that we hear at the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, that all of us are sinners that are going to die. And unless we repent, um, we're, we're going to um, perish eternally. Um, like those who um, have not claimed Jesus, um, who have not been claimed by Jesus, I should say. And then this parable about a fig tree, and of course, fig tree um, represents Israel. Um, uh, we see different metaphors used for Israel, vineyards, fig trees. Um, and this is a, a, this particular fig tree representing Israel is not bearing fruit. And uh, there, there's the sense of like delay in time of like judgment's not coming now, but it is coming. Now, this is not a literal year. Let's not, you know. There, there are times where the, the, the scriptures speak literally. I think last week I mentioned um, how when Jesus said the first day, second day, third day, he wasn't saying in three days, um, literally, um, because he was referring to Palm Sunday, which was not three days away. And, and the same thing here is that not, it's not a literal year that, Jesus, that, that um, even Israel will be judged, but all of us will be judged. Um, there's time right now. And uh, got to love agricultural metaphors. Um, got to put poop on stuff. Um, got to nourish it with manure. <laughs> um, and, and then at that time, uh, you can cut it down. And of course, we will come in, in coming weeks, I believe, to a, a further uh, reference to a fig tree uh, that is not bearing fruit, um, where the disciples uh, talk about that. We'll talk about that when we will talk about that, Kirk, when we come to it. And then verse 10. And now Jesus is um, teaching in a synagogue, and uh, and we can see the emptiness of religion, um, where Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath, and a woman who um, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Now, God, who is a God of compassion, um, Jesus looks at her and heals her, because Jesus heals and um, isn't it insane um, that those focused on the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law were upset that the Sabbath was violated? 
and that they are not understanding, you know, the purpose of the Sabbath. Um, and uh, that um, to, to say we're going to uphold, that, that is the, the apex of empty religion, to say we will uphold the Sabbath by not offering compassion to this woman. It's, um, it's uh, not understanding what it is that's at the heart of this law of the Sabbath and what's, not, what's at misunderstanding of what's at the heart of, of God himself. And so uh, it's interesting how he kind of snaps back, um, calling them hypocrites. Um, and his adversaries were put to shame and the people rejoiced. That the people, um, I don't know that they were looking for a reason to um, clap back at the um, rulers of the synagogue or, or cheer on a mic drop moment. But uh, it's, it's this idea of understanding that, that, that God is, is, is for the suffering. Um, he's not just present for the suffering, um, but God, um, God has healing for those who suffer. And uh, with that in mind, um, I, I want to uh, point very quickly um, to our lesson from First Corinthians chapter ten. Um, oh, I, I couldn't. Turn, let me turn the page. Yeah, First Corinthians chapter ten, verses one through thirteen. Uh, you know, these are paired together so well. Um, that Paul here is talking about, um, I'll just read it <laughs> for, I do not want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And he goes on to say that even despite their deliverance, that, that some idolaters um, persisted in their idolatry. Um, and he has this, this really wise warning um, for anybody who um, is a little bit puffed up in their knowledge, who's puffed up in their righteousness and their self-righteousness in their inclusion in the right tribe, uh, this, this is a good memory verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he that he stands take heed lest he, he fall. I mean, a powerful call to humility there. Hmm. And then, of course, um, verse 13 uh, is, is something that's it's a good reminder for us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. That we are not left alone, Kirk, just um, tempted on all sides with God waiting to hit the smite button, um, but that God, in fact, um, does provide healing and assistance to those of us who are tempted in many ways. Um, and so I hope that this is clear to the listener uh, how these things fit together. Um, but just to briefly go back to those, those opening verses of chapter 10 of first Corinthians chapter 10, um, to, 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 to look at God's provision and God's nourishment, um, God's presence. Um, I don't want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud. Um, the cloud being of course, the presence of God. Mm -hmm. and, and we see, um, being nourished sacramentally, uh, by, um, both, uh, water and food notice um, the the marriage of old and new covenant there as well yes. that the that the passing through the red sea um and this is easy to miss 
is a prefiguring uh, a type of baptism, the fulfillment sure. um, that is to come. Um, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Yeah. Yeah. There's, have you seen, there's been um, a great, a great spat on, on in Christian social media um, over, over the assertion <clears throat> that um, the gospel is in the old Testament, that every book of the old Testament <sighs> is about Christ. Um, and there's been, accusations of anti-semitism and supersessionism uh and and it's just supersessionism just very briefly let's explain that term um is is uh is it officially considered heretical we can say i don't know i i only basically know it in as as a slur as a slander it's something that's thrown at people but yeah but but to understand like um supersession is is in in a wrong belief that somehow the new covenant has replaced and superseded the old as if God could revoke a previous covenant. Like what, what it's arguing is that somehow like the promises made to Israel are, are now null are because null. they've been yeah. fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anyway, I don't, I, I didn't want to go too far aside. Yep. Continue. Yeah, no, but it's just, you, you can't be a Christian and read, you know, the, the new Testament lesson for the Sunday. Um, it, it's staring us right in the face that that Moses was always the type um, of of the final prophet, the true prophet to come, Christ. Um, and Moses' um, salvation of Israel, leading them through the Red Sea waters um, in, in into safety and the Promised Land, um, into which they would die, right, was always only a prefiguring of the passing through the waters that leads us into. Um, eternal life and life that we will never die, right? The, the true baptism into Christ. So, and, and St. Paul, I mean, obviously puts this better than, than I can put it right now, but, and, uh, but that's, man, that is not like a memory verse that anyone encounters. First Corinthians 10, chapter two, or verse two, and all, but it's there, right? And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It's just remarkable. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, that Kirk, that, I mean, that, that there is so much uh, richness here and uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I don't want to belabor this point because um, baptism by immersion is, is the most powerful um, mm-hmm. uh, physical demonstration of what's happening at baptism. Yeah. Being um, dead to sin and alive in Christ, um, being plunged beneath the waters um, represents union with Christ in his death and being pulled out of the waters is, um, being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. That, that, that imagery of, of immersion, baptism by immersion is, is the right imagery. However, um, we, uh, it is sufficient, uh, to sprinkle, um, when we baptize, uh, and, and when we think about this term of baptism here, uh, you know, um, a strict Baptist who says real baptism must be by immersion, and uh, this is quite an or aside. a strict Baptist who uh, says that um, only uh, those right, who a public consent. profession of faith. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. it only uh, was it only a consenting adults that walked through the Red nope, Sea? No, they were like, they were saved. They you know, left like, the, they left the yeah. children beneath the age of accountability <laughs> back in Egypt. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Right. Um, but uh, I need a dunking was... on Baptist shock collar. <laughs> um, but I, I read on social media, um, and this is interesting. Uh, someone asked like, what's your worst baptism story just for fun. And I was just reading through some of the examples and, and, and many Baptists were, uh, 
in their, these pastors who baptized uh, were afraid that because like they screwed up and didn't fully immerse the person that, that uh, like, are, you know, are, are they actually bad? And so there's, there's even just an uh, incoherence in um, some of them believe the baptism was necessary. Other Baptists don't believe it's necessary. And it's like, well, will they go to heaven if they're not baptized? There's just a lot of nervousness around that. Which accidentally um, slides into the ex opera, right. Yeah. Like right, the, right, right, right. the mechanics of it that make it happen. Not the, not the word of Christ and the presence of the Holy spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if, if we press this too far, as far as um, those who um, passed through the waters in the Red Sea, Kirk, were they immersed? N- no. Um, who, who was, in fact, who as was John of Damascus wrote, um, <laughs> with unmoistened foot through the Red Sea waters, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, in fact, um, it was the Egyptians who were immersed, right? right. And killed by the waters. <laughs> right. So their anyway, baptism just, was the final baptism. Yes. yes. The baptism just of condemnation. That out. Um, but we see, yeah, yeah, we see our two sacraments here. We see baptism, and we and we see um, uh, being nourished by by God Himself, right? Um, that the, the God provided for them in the wilderness and the waters um, at Meribah, they drank from the spiritual rock. Christ. Yeah, that was the rock of Christ. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and so I just wanted to point to that, and um, I hope that the connection to our listeners is is kind of clear um, as far as you know, God doing the saving, but not just, not just God doing the saving, but God doing the sustaining that, that God is, is, is present, um, in, in, in healing, in deliverance from temptation. Um, and yeah, Kirk, I've talked for a long time. I'm going <laughs> to shut my mouth. So I have a question for you and maybe you can help me think through, think through this, stump the chump. Think, All right, think through this, con- think through this connection. Oh no, no, no. It's not, it's not a stump the chump question. It's, um, help me Mid- midwife my idea, Socrates, help my idea come to fruition here. Um, so I'm looking at the very end of this reading, um, the final um, the final pericope, the woman with the disabling spirit. So like I'm looking at verses 15 through 17 here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, Jesus is admonished um, by the Pharisees for healing on the Sabbath. And this happens, this isn't the only place um, in the gospels where this happens, this happens several times. Um, one in which, um, his, his disciples are like picking ears of grain as they walk through yep. a field. Cause um, they're hungry. <laughs> yep. Uh, in John, uh, what the man by the, by the pool of Bethsaida who like picks up his mat and walks and isn't he admonished for healing on the Sabbath. Right. So this happens all over the place. Um, and, uh, and, and what's kind of clear to us is where, does it even occur to us to ask the question, wait, why was the Sabbath? I mean, Jesus reminds them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, but why the Sabbath in the first place, right? So Christopher, why the Sabbath in the first place? Why did God institute the Sabbath? Well, it begins with creation, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I agree. God, God and what rested. is the purpose? What is the purpose in Genesis when God institutes the Sabbath, right? Six days you have worked. Or six days God created, and the seventh day He rested. Yeah. What? And then the what? Ten commandments. Six days you uh, you shall you have labored, and the seventh day you shall rest. Right. Um, it so, establishes a pattern um, for, for life that, that yes. we we don't exist for leisure, Kirk. Um, right. You know that 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 um I think some Christians fall into the secular view of retirement of like right. we're going to work this many years, and then when we retire, that 
we're done and we play golf for the, you know, like that's right. not a very Christian idea. Um, that, that work is a, uh, if we're going to talk about so, social media, Kirk, th- there's a weird corner of social media <laughs> that is like opposed to work and th- it believes right. that all work is, is just oppressive right. and that, like no one should have to work. Um, we're Christians. Um, we believe that, that, that work is good. And not only that, Kirk, in the kingdom to come, there will be work. Right. Um, that, 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 uh, that there'll be vineyards and there'll be tending yeah. to vineyards. Like we'll work on, well, before you know, the we will fall. not toil by the work of, yeah, it, it's, it's the, it's the sweat of the brow and the toil of work. Yes. That is a consequence of sin, yes. but not work itself. Right. Before the fall, um, man was commanded to tend the garden, right. Which yes. would have been a garden without thorns, right. Without rocky ground. But yeah. So I, yeah. I think and, but, this- but the, the pattern of, of like, um, it, it's, of work and rest of, of like the work is good, but rest is good too. Like yeah. it, it could be sloth can be a sin Kirk, but also um, so can overwork um, for, right. for people who are workaholics and do not take time to rest and renew and to worship. Right. So, so the point of Sabbath was there's this contrast between labor and fruitful labor, fruitful, meaningful labor, and then recreation and rest. And the two things leaven each other. And, and, and um, I mean, as a teacher, I, I work really hard for nine months. And then I take like a three month, it's like for three months, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, retired or a college kid or whatever. And it's weird. And by the, by the end of each, I'm, I'm thirsting for the next, right? Um, sure. By the end of May, by Memorial Day, man, I cannot wait for summer. And uh, by, by, by August, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling kind of slothful, <laughs> frankly. And I'm like, I, my life needs meaning. And, and when I go to school then in September, again, I'm like, ah, yes, this lends meaning and purpose, right? So, so the purpose of the Sabbath is, is that, right? Like human life is lent meaning and depth and richness um, when work and rest uh, live alongside each other. So it wasn't Torah, okay? like stop and correct me if I'm wrong, right? So it's not Torah that, that, that um, makes this, unlawful what jesus does but oral torah correct this is my understanding yeah i think so yeah so the the great around the law and yeah yeah, the care i under and i understand why the pharisees did this um when people would ask a rabbi um i have this errand i I really kind of need to run um am i breaking sabbath by doing it and like you know you know rabbi would stroke his beard and think and like try to come up with parameters that would be helpful for people right um invariably um and we invariably uh you were the hebrews were going to run into this right gray areas oh, of course. is this is this, is this keeping to the spirit of sabbath or violating the spirit of sabbath um and uh but but ultimately um as oral torah grows um and grows in authority and venerability um it acquires um, kind of the weight and heft of Torah itself, right? And I think, sure. so what happens is oral Torah is being thrown in Jesus' face here. Um, and, and by this point, we're far enough away from the spirit of Sabbath, which is this rhythm of work and rest, labor and rest, labor and rest, um, where, where the, the, the spirit of Sabbath isn't being violated. Um, right, but Jesus law- would never, yeah, Jesus would never... Um- <laughs> encourage people to violate the Torah. Right. Right. The words of Precisely. Never. That's what I'm yeah. getting at. Thank so you, I, yeah. I think of this now I, in my, in my life right now, I'm encountering this in, in, from a bunch of, bunch of different vectors regarding Lent um, because the spirit of our Lenten disciplines 
is that we may know our sin and our mortality, and it may drive us to our knees um, in prayer, um, in repentance, um, in, 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 and lift our eyes to Christ's feet nailed into the cross and marvel um, at his saving blood and his saving cross. And then in the spirit of thanksgiving, give in charity, um, fast in repentance, and yearn for the Easter feast. Um, and, uh, and, and yet I find, like in a bunch of different vectors, the letter <laughs> of these Lenten disciplines, I'm encountering A, um, uh, friends, um, students who are yearning to keep the letter, um, and, and it's unclear if the spirit has been lost entirely. Um, and I don't know if, if you, Christopher, if, if you listener are, are, are there at all, where um, you are striving to keep a, a holy Lent, and yet your heart is dry and dusty, but I am. <laughs> mm. And I, I, this, this reading mm. really resonates with me. And so, Christopher, I guess this isn't even a, a question necessarily, but a cry. <laughs> sure. um, uh, Lord, I want to keep the Sabbath. And, and yet in my desire to keep the Sabbath, I wonder if I'm even keeping the Sabbath, <laughs> if I've lost sight of what it was all for in the first place. So. And, and maybe if, if we have a Roman Catholic listener who could offer some feedback for me and, and help. The one thing that I haven't understood is um, the, the, the Friday fish fries, um, <laughs> which, yes. which um, seemed to me, uh, and I could be 100% wrong, um, to be super gluttonous. Like we will feast on fish, but not meat. You know, like that, that um, I'm like, thinking like, is that, isn't that contrary to the idea of fasting? Um, so yeah, you're fasting from red meat only to just like feast on. Uh, so I, I just need to help understanding like the, the notion there or the intention, like is, is, is that's what's happening. Uh, I don't know. Just to contrast that with, um, one of my favorite characters in literature, um, so in, on the book Staggerford where, where miles, um, uh, not landlady, like he's, he rents a room from her, uh, Agatha and, she um she's a terrible cook and and he he just makes a joke on a particular random friday in the fall um that like boy we're we're holier than the pope you know this fall because like because this meager friday night meal um so christopher can i can i can i just very briefly answer that for you a little bit a little bit as a non-roman catholic but so i have a i have a close catholic friend and we carpool together and he invited me to stations of the cross at his parish, which, so the, the many Catholic parishes, the, the Friday Lenten pattern is like 3 PM or 4 PM, um, uh, stations and Mm. then, and then fish fry after that. Um, so there is almost within the Lenten context, a, almost a mini, um, fast and feast, but not feasting. Right. So, so you have this hour of, of, of prayer, very penitential prayer, and the stations of the cross are lovely. Um, and then you go to the parish hall and you, and for all the volunteers, there's a sense we prayed together and now we're going to go eat together. Now it's not a, it's not a feast, right? So, but, okay, but also not. what's okay. important, Christopher, is the concept is the, is the distinction between fasting and abstinence. So fasting is mandated um, by the Catholic catechism during Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, 
Um, and it is, it is a reduction of your intake to one meal. Um, abstinence is, is um, refraining from something that's not sinful, um, but, but the refraining from the thing that's not sinful is a reminder to you that like you're in, you're in a season of austerity, right? So when you abstain from red meat, from flesh meat, as they call it on, on, on Fridays, it's a reminder, like I'm in, a, I'm in a season of austerity, right? So now you're right. There is something about the way we eat fish um, in, in Lent that is like, it's super breaded. And like most fish fries in the local Catholic churches in my area, when, I, when we do it, I like when I, when, I, when I do the takeout and I bring it home, like I just chuckle because it's just this enormous slab or like, like the bun will barely contain it. Like it comes out of both <laughs> sides of the bun. You know what I mean? Like the bun is just like this feeble conveyance for like this massive slab of fish. So yeah, there's something interesting and comical about. So you're saying but. it's 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 connected to um the the spiritual discipline would be the wrong word, uh, but of 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 a Friday stations of the cross and and it's a way to break bread together. Yes. Um, in a way that um abstains from red meat. Um, uh, and you're saying the spirit isn't isn't um simply just feast in in like uh you know like decontextualize if you just kind of show up there without having done stations beforehand which i don't know what the like it's probably more more people don't go to stations beforehand than do right and more people don't volunteer than do but if it's part of your parish rhythm like it is for my friend where he and his two kids they do stations and then he's in the kitchen and his kids are serving it's this community act of service and breaking bread together um, after Friday stations of the cross yeah. and it has its own internal logic that, that kind of makes sure. sense. It yeah. differs from us as Anglicans. Our prayer book um, does say Fridays are fast days yeah. in Lent. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, and I don't, well, and the whole idea honest, that the, I don't the whole idea of just one meal on Fridays in Lent. So, yeah. but the whole idea of like Shrove Tuesday is, is to get rid of like the rich, you know, like it differs in that. They're like, like you're, you're doing pancakes cause you're getting rid of the fats and the, you know, this thing in, in your house, because it's just a more austere Lent. And, and so the idea of like, like frying, like, you know, delicious food <laughs> is just like, seems contrary to that notion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, so the, yeah, that, that, that is a helpful way to, to understand that. Yeah. Um, any, any other final thoughts or questions on this, Christopher, um, before we move on to our theology segment? No, let's, uh, let's move on. For our theology segment today, we would like to mark um, two great Celtic saints that uh, arrive in the calendar in mid to late March. Uh, St. Patrick's Day is March 18th, and St. Cuthbert's Day is March 20th. And these, uh, this is a happy accident, Christopher, because last week, you and I tangentially and accidentally um, kind of began talking about um, the early English church before its 
union with the greater greater Western European church uh, with and union with Rome. Um, and that was in the context of Gregory the Great, who commissioned uh, Augustine of Canterbury to evangelize England, uh, which was complicated by the fact that there were already Christians in, uh, in Britain, in, in, in the British Isles. Um, and that was complicated as well, because in the sixth century, um, as that's happening, uh, the British Isles are fragmented politically. You have the native Celts who had in, in uh, the fifth century been pushed west into Cornwall, Wales, and Britain by the, uh, by the, um, the Saxons. And then in the seventh century, the Saxons are pushed west into what becomes Wessex, like West Saxony and Sussex by the Danes. So you have these waves of um, Nordic Vikings, these waves of Vikings, right? Saxons and then the Danes um, who kind of wreak havoc on what had been left of Roman society, right? So Rome had brought Christianity originally to the Britons who were ethnically British. What's left of ethnic, uh, the ethnic Britons is basically Cornwall, Wales and, and Ireland, right? And so we have, sometimes we call that, that culture Celtic um, or, or, or Gaelic. And I'm not, I'm not enough of a historian of the British Isles to understand that, that maybe Gaelic's a language and Celtic is it's a culture, I don't know. In any case, instead of, instead of rambling, I'll just say what I'm gonna say, which is um, we have these two, these two saints and it's interesting, um, St. Cuthbert's life overlaps this Synod of Whitby that we touched on yesterday, um, where Augustine of Canterbury helps bring British Christianity back into union with that of the entire Western Catholic Church. Um, but let's start with Patrick because Patrick is, uh, is the first, right? That's uh, on March 18th. Uh, March 18th, March 17th. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Yeah, March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. Yay! Um, Christopher, St. Patrick's Day, you and I grew up in northern Minnesota. I guess I was aware of it. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a big deal. And, uh, and, then, and then moving to, uh, to kind of a more, more Catholic area, um, St. Patrick's Day has become a bigger deal. Um, so let's, let's talk Patrick very briefly. Um, uh, Patrick um, was born in, I think, what we would now call Wales, right? Um, who's uh, born of a Rome, Roman family, um, but at age 16, he is kidnapped by Irish raiders from his villa. Um, his father was a deacon and a local minor, minor official, so he's born a Christian, um, but, he's, but he's dragged into slavery in Ireland, and he sent, spent six years there as a herdsman, um, in which kind of his faith was really his, his only, only refuge. Um, he had a dream on that ship um, uh, that, um, that, that, um, that he, what was his dream? I'm sorry, Christopher, do you remember? Was his dream that he would escape when he was ready? Um, was he told in a dream to, to, to find passage to Britain? Um, in I any don't case, recall, Kirk, I'm sorry. After six years in Ireland, forgive me. Boy, boy, aren't, aren't we models of show prep and preparation? So I'm just going to do this by memory, Christopher. After six years in, in Ireland in slavery, he, uh, he makes it back to, to Britain. Um, he escapes, yeah. Yep, he escapes. He escapes. And 
um, I found it. I found his dream. In his confessions, in his, in his book, in his confession, he tells of a dream after his return to, Vit to Britain, um, in which kind of he, uh, he seems to hear uh, the Irish begging him to come back. Um, and he writes, quote, deeply moved, I could read no more. Um, in, in his dream, he's reading a letter from the Irish. So, Kirk, Kirk, so uh, it was incorrect when you said earlier um, that he had a dream when he was enslaved. Yes. Um, he had this vision or dream um, after escaping that, that God was calling him back to. Gotcha. Ireland. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he goes back to Ireland. And, uh, and th this is nothing short of miraculous, right? He, um, he essentially, with, and this is the way that mission, mission work um, worked back then, um, you went to the chief, right? You went to the king, because if you could convert the chief or the king, um, that kind of made the rest of the nation follow suit, right? Um, and he, he successfully converts um, the, the Irish. And uh, it's really quite remarkable. Um, of course, uh, this, this whole legend has built up around uh, Ireland uh, to explain like the absence of snakes uh, that he uh, that he banished snakes from Ireland um, but that's that's not as, as important as well um, also I, I would say for us in in our Anglican context uh, um, I uh, Patrick's uh, Trinitarianism has left a, uh, a deep impression on me and I know others kind of in my circles through a, uh, a hymn that we sing um, on Trinity Sunday and sometimes on St. Patrick's Day when it falls on a Sunday, um, I bind unto myself this day the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three and one and one and three, sometimes called St. Patrick's breastplate. Um, and legend has it, that this is what the prayer, this is what St. Patrick was praying as he was walking to the pagan king um, to try to uh, convert him. Um, and, uh, and, and I'd say kind of in our context, his greatest legacy is this strong Trinitarianism, um, that we wear our Trinity, uh, we wear the Trinity on us, right. Um, like a, like a spiritual garment in, in this great cosmic spiritual war, right. We have, um, the father, son, Holy spirit etched on our forehead and our baptism and like a garment, like a robe, um, as St. Paul writes to the Ephesians, right. Um, we, 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 we bear it as well in the heavenlies. So. That's kind of my St. Patrick thoughts, Christopher. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of thoughts, um, except um, just the awe of somebody who was uh, enslaved by the Irish um, to be emboldened by Christ, to go back to the place of <laughs> yeah. your captivity um, for the sake uh, to, to all sorts of dangers. And, and uh, the, the tremendous faith um, that, that took, I think of, um, the apostle Paul in second Corinthians as he lists, you know, uh, I, I love the authenticity of St. Paul Kirk. Um, he lists all the things that he faced. He, he does not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like he does not make it sound too rosy being, being a Christian or being, right. um, He's not like, oh, it's it's just it's so great to have Jesus all the time. Like uh, he acknowledges that that his his obedience. He says, I I wouldn't trade it for anything. Of course, 
Like knowing Christ is, is the, the greatest thing. Um, but he is not shy about sharing the sufferings that he endured. Of course, he says sufferings unite us to Christ, but, um, in second Corinthians, he has this whole list of shipwrecks and being beaten and all these things that he suffered, um, for the sake of Christ. Um, and, uh, for, for Patrick to, to simply like know what might happen to him. If he goes back, he might be enslaved again. And we think of these, these saints. And now last week, I think I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as we were talking about Perpetua, um, these people who by their conduct are inspirations to us. Um, but also teaches the cost, like that um, sometimes the cost is our own life. And um, so the boldness and faith of, of him to, to go back to Britain. Uh, and it, it's clear that, that um, the, the Lord did protect him, uh, at least from, from uh, the, the greater dangers. And, and uh, yeah, the St. Patrick's breastplate, um, this, this Trinitarian prayer he prays, which is a powerful prayer of, of like, literally as um, you know, the, I don't know if it's legend would be the right word, but like the tradition says that he kind of recited this to himself as, as he, um, when he dealt with fear, as he, uh, walked into Ireland, um, I prayed, prayed for protection. Um, uh, God before me, God, be- I, I, how does it go, Kirk? Um, Christ be, <laughs> what is it? Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ beside me, Christ within me. Um, it's basically all the Christ all the surround me and go before me and, and God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, 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 um, and, and also something Christ in Christ quiet, to win. Christ in danger. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, what a tremendous comfort it was to him to knowing that, 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 that God was with him as he did this, that God, God had called him and God would sustain him. And, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, think of, uh, the, the impact that he had, um, bringing Christianity and it like in a big way, uh, to, um, the, the boldness, uh, may we all be so bold and, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's what I think we should consider, um, more than, you know, drinking Irish beer. <laughs> Although which, uh, which, like, we don't live, honest, we don't live in a world great anyway. We, right. Yeah. <laughs> but also we don't live in a world of false dichotomies, you know? So I, I would also say this, and this is just funny, either, you know what I'm talking about or you don't. Um, the rise of the great eminent YouTube account, the Lutheran satire has done more, I think in, um, in American Protestantism to bring, uh, um, to, to, to bring about a new mini cult of St. Patrick than anything else. Um, his, uh, St. Patrick videos are just phenomenal. And maybe we, we should link to a couple of them. Yes. I know that they have contributed in my household to my children's, uh, um, St. Patrick piety. So we have our own little cult of St. Patrick here because of Lutheran satire. Um, yeah. So enough of that. Uh, let's talk about St. Cuthbert. Christopher, you and I have been to the shrine of St. Cuthbert. And probably before I was really able to appreciate it. Um, Christopher, um, um, little show and tell. I'm holding in my hands, as you can see here, uh, Venerable Beads, the Ecclesiastical History of the English People, which is the, uh, the definitive historic account of Christianity in the British Isles uh, before um, the Norman invasion, right? So basically before the year 1000. Um, he wrote it in 731. And the great early uh, British saints, 
um, like St. Patrick, uh, like St. Cuthbert, St. Chad, uh, St. Aidan, etc. Um, we, we know because we, we, because of Bede's writings. St. Cuthbert was born in 634. He died March 20th of 687, and we mark his feast day on March 20th. And he, uh, he lived in what's now basically like modern day Durham, or like North, North Yorkshire. He was the Bishop of the Great Benedictine Abbey of Lindisfarne. It's just, I think it just means Holy Island. Um, and he's one of the most venerated English saints. He evangelized Northumbria. So um, that's the, the British, the English county. Um, Cuthbert was a shepherd. And after receiving a vision, Christopher, he entered a monastery of Melrose under the, under the abbot St. Ida, St. Ada. And I just, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read a lot. I just want to read a little bit. Um, this is from chapter 27 of Venerable Bede's The Ecclesiastical History of the English-Speaking People. All right. And these are great Saxon names, by the way, that I'm going to mispronounce. Uh, King Ecfrith, in the year that he died, caused the holy and venerable Cuthbert to be consecrated Bishop of Lindisfarne, as we have said. Cuthbert had for many years been living a solitary life in great austerity of mind and body on a small island called Farne, which is in the ocean about nine miles away from the church of Lindisfarne. From his earliest years, he had always longed for a life under a rule, right? A rule is a kind of a religious pattern of daily prayer and worship. Um, and it was as a young man that he assumed both the name and the habit of a monk. He first of all entered the monastery of Melrose, which is on the banks of the Tweed, and was then ruled over by Abbot Ada, the gentlest and simplest of men, who, as has already been mentioned, was afterwards made a bishop of Hexham, or rather of Lindisfarne. Cuthbert humbly submitted himself to Boisel's instructions and received from him a knowledge of the scriptures and the example of a life of good works. Not only did he teach those in the monastery how to live under the rule and show them an example of it in the same way, but he also sought to convert the neighboring people far and wide from a life of foolish customs to a love of heavenly joys. For many of them profaned the creed they held by wicked deeds, and some of them too in times of plague would forget the sacred mysteries of the faith into which they had been initiated and take to the false remedies of idolatry. Christopher, doesn't that sound like uh, the tribes of Israel in the Old Testament? Yep. As though they could ward off a blow inflicted by God the creator by means of incantations or amulets or any other mysteries of devilish arts. So he frequently went forth from the monastery to correct the errors of those that sinned. In both these ways, sometimes on horseback, but more often on foot, he came to those neighboring villages and preached the way of truth to those who had gone astray. And uh, Bede continues to, uh, to write for several pages of his life and work. But you get a sense for his, um, his ardent mission work um, in northern England, now modern day Northumbria. Um, but he became a, uh, a venerated saint in his death, Christopher. And we could talk about this, or we don't have to talk about it. It's, we can just kind of throw it out there for the listener to, to chew on. Um, this is from, uh, from chapter, chapter 30. But the divine providence, which to show still further in what glory St. Cuthbert lived after his death, whose sublime life had been attested before his death by frequent signs and miracles, 
So he put it into the heart of his brothers. 11 years after his burial, right? So he's buried. Then 11 years later, to take his bones, which they expected to find quite dry, the rest of his body, as is usual with the dead, having decayed and turned into dust, right? So after 11 years, Christopher, a human body should be just bones, right? Mm -hmm. Everything else is rotted and, 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 and is gone. And to put them in a new coffin in the same place, but above the floor, so they might be worthily venerated, right? So they wanted to make a shrine, shrine for him so people could come and visit his shrine, right? When they reported their decision to Edberth, the bishop, he consented to their plan and ordered them to carry it out on the anniversary of his burial. They did so, and opening the grave, they found the body intact and whole as if it were still alive, the joints of the limbs flexible, much more like a sleeping than a dead man. Moreover, all his garments in which his limbs had been clothed were not only undefiled, but seemed to be perfectly new and wonderfully bright. When the brothers saw this, they were struck with great fear and hastened to tell the bishop what they had found. He happened to be alone in a place where blah, blah, blah. All right. So, so um, his body undergoes several trips and its final resting place is now um, in the Cathedral of Durham, which you and I visited um, with our lovely brides in 2006, which is now the Shrine of St. Cuthbert. And from that day has... Um, has become a, a great shrine. Uh, uh, thousands of Christians uh, pilgrim, make a pilgrimage there to that day. And I wonder, I wonder if it has to do with, I don't have an answer to this, if we as moderns, um, we read of the miracles of, of, of um, the saints of old and um, we live in, we live modern lives as moderns and we, we can't help it. We, we live with, in an age of SpaceX, right? Not bishops who walk around the countryside barefoot healing, right? Um, and uh, maybe there's a modern yearning for that as we go into Durham, Durham Cathedral and see the shrine of St. Cuthbert and, and yearn for a day of holy men who, you know what he would do? He would go and pray in the North Sea, like in his hmm. robe, walk into the sea, and the North Sea is not a warm place, Christopher. It's like, you know, the Great Lakes, right? Lake Superior or something. And he would pray and pray in the sea and then do works of healing and prayer. And uh, I wonder if we yearn for, for that kind of faith, for a church that has that, that sort of presence of the Holy Spirit. So I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything. Let me just trail off and throw it to you. Hmm. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot to add, <laughs> but that's, that's a good admonition. <laughs> What do you, Christopher, let me just ask you, and you can, you can punt and choose to not answer the question. When you read accounts of the early church, and this is no, not, not so much the early church when we're talking about, you know, St. Cuthbert or, you know, 6th century, 7th century, and we read accounts like this, what do you think? Uh, it's, it's an inspiration. Um, it is... Uh, it is, I think, very crucial um, for us to learn from the people who came before us um, and from the people today around the world. Um, I think we can get too sheltered in our um, Western American 21st century context, to, to, and, and that can detach us from the, the reality that, that our faith is 2,000 years old and mm -hmm. um, much bigger and wider and less... Um, trapped in in uh, our, our culture i mean a big problem with uh american evangelicalism is is that it doesn't uh realize what is american 
and what is uh, um, evangelical in, in just the classic sense of, hmm. of um, related to the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, so to, to, to read the accounts of, of what these um, fathers and mothers were like, um, it, it, it should, we should do this and it should shape our, our faith and our practice um, in, in, in really powerful ways. Uh, we, we don't have to agree a hundred percent with, with these people either. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, uh, you and I have a skepticism of, of Puritans and yet you <laughs> and I can look at particular Puritans and say, we can learn from this part of, of, yeah, of their, sure. um, uh, there's one in particular whose name is slipping my mind. Um, who was in the north of England? Who uh, just like his his ministry was to like visit every house in the city. Um, uh, you know, as 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 this um, was he in the Church of England or not? Anyway, like, but he was a Puritan either way. Um, Puritan, I guess he would be. Um, uh, and so, like, I may be like, well, I, I think it's it's just we can't look at people who differ in the slightest from us and be like oh, well, like, I'm going to reject their whole thing. Like, I think we can learn tremendous things. Uh, um, so I, I think one issue we have is, is um, we might look at somebody, was it Baxter? Is that who I'm thinking of? Richard Baxter? Yeah, yes. Yeah, sure. Um, who had, had an amazing ministry and tremendous things that we can learn from, but we shouldn't be like, oh, well, I disagree um, doctrinally or in practice with, with this particular thing. Um, and therefore, like, I have nothing to learn from him. And so I think um, the humility of, of, of uh, being a Christian means that... Uh, that um, uh, these uh, sixth century, fifth century, seventh century uh, men and women who we uh, read about, I, I hope um, is powerful in, the, in our formation. Amen. Any final thoughts? Let's pray. Let's pray. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you called your servant Patrick to preach the gospel to the Irish people. Raise up in this and every land evangelists and heralds of your kingdom, that your church may proclaim the unsearchable riches of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections, that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week. Oh.